everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 116 of the show. Uh, this podcast is a journey and a look back and a retrospective and a discussion and a just an all-around good time in the land of the Marvel superheroes as their adventures were told back in the 1960s. We were doing this thing from the very beginning, and we've already gotten up to the X-Men number 19. Nice. 19 of these. 19 of these. I, um, I, like, I like the titles where I actually know how many we've read. Well, that's going to work on the X-Men up until 66. And they're just yeah. going to stop talking about the X-Men. Oh, and then it's going to be and the it, Uncanny X-Men? No, no, then there's a big old gap where the book is oh, canceled that's right. for five years. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. But we don't have a lot of books where it's like we actually start with number one. This one, you're, you're FF, right. Daredevil, Spider-Man. That's it? Oh, Spider-Man. I guess I'm lying and we do have a lot of books that start with number one. But, but we do have a lot that don't. We have a yeah. Future, but Like Strange Tales we don't, Thor we don't, Astonish we yeah. don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were in February of 1966, and in this episode, we're going to cover the X-Men 19, Daredevil 15, Thor 127, and Tales to Astonish 79. So if you haven't done your reading, pause the book, pause the show, go to your reading, come back. Yep, yep. Quick. Just quick like. Doesn't take yep. long. We're, we're actually not going to wait for you because we're recording and time works differently. It would be Inst- really weird to have an, a silence for 30 minutes. <laughs> Why don't you go read the comics? Are you uh, done yet? X-Men, right. <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, you, got, you got a beer? Um, <laughs> so the X-Men 19 came out on February 3rd. All of our comics tonight did. And this is the introduction of the marvelous Mimic. Woohoo. I'm just opening up the comic here. Lo, now shall appear the Mimic. Did you know that low actually has a meaning? Um, low is in like here or something? Look low it? Is, is short check for it out. look. Yeah, yeah, it's short for look. Okay. So lo and behold, look and check it out. Did um, you know that four in golf is F-O-R-E and not F-O-U-R? You probably did. I think I just learned that this week though. I think I knew that at one point but had forgotten. I wasn't sure why either four makes any sense, but apparently it's four like, like uh, it came from some sort of war thing about like ducking before people shot your head off, your own people shot your head off or something like that. Like there's something something coming at you from the front or something, yeah. Yeah, 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 something like that, did, Scottish thing. Did you know that whenever you go, whenever your boat gets underway, it's not W-A-Y? It's no. Under, it's underway, W-E-I-G-H. Like it weighs less so it can go now? Something? I don't know. Wow. That was weird. That is weird. Maybe because you take the anchor off, so now it doesn't weigh it down. Or something. Uh, I don't know. I just made that up. Because you, you just told me that, and I didn't know. So we're, I'm just spitballing. Well, while we are talking about homophones. <laughs> There's no golfer <laughs> boats in this issue, by the way. The X-Men are having one of their typical um, adventure-starting workout sessions because it's no longer a continued story. Like, after, I don't know, 75 issues of the X-Men, oh we actually God. closed off our drama last issue and we're moving to something yeah. new. So um, the script is from Stan Lee. The pencils are from Jay Gavin because he's still hiding his name. Inking is Dick Ayers. Lettering, Artie Simic. All that and Forbush, too. Who's Jay Gavin again? Jay Gavin is Werner Roth. Okay. Or Werner Roth, I guess, is probably closer to accurate pronunciation for the German name. Um, Anyways, so they're playing and Cyclops is putting them through their paces and he's in the danger room. And... um, 
you know, everybody gets a chance to shine. And then Professor X wheels in and says, hey, y'all, hey, um, you've had enough for today. Why don't y'all, uh, why don't y'all stop? Um, and I think he tells them to go have a vacation. Yeah, go take a vacation. And it was like, woo, it's time for vacation. Nothing ever goes wrong when we go on vacation. So <laughs> um, Hank and Bobby go check out the library because that Zelda no longer works at the swinging hip beatnik coffee house. She now works at the library and uh, she's meeting a friend at the library and all four of them are going to go double date. So while Hank and Bobby are waiting inside for Zelda to show up, uh, Hank and one of the librarians get in a bit of a tiff. They start throwing some barbs at each other for no real reason. Um, Hank makes sure to throw in some misogyny because, you know, good old Hank McCoy. And then Zelda shows up and turns out that bar- librarian that was arguing with Hank is Hank's date for the evening. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. So um, then we go uh, with them. They leave the library. They're walking down the street. They see Calvin Rankin, who's this real schmo who knows Vera, the uh, the new friend. Um, and they have some not nice words to say to each other. Uh, Hank and Calvin start throwing some fists at each other. And then suddenly Calvin starts bounding around like the bountiful beast. And he's like, what's going on here? And then he throws ice at Bobby for no reason. We're like, what's going on here? And then he starts climbing up the wall like he's the beast. And Calvin gets to the top. He's like, hey, wait a second. Oh, because while he's going up the wall, uh, the people around him like start throwing stuff at him, calling him a mutant. He's like, wait a second. They called me a mutant because I was doing all those crazy things just now. <gasps> I must have gotten powers from the X-Men. Those were the X-Men down there. And um, so anyways, he uh, has some of his powers some more, and then suddenly his powers disappear. So later he is out while Gene is doing some shopping, and they run into each other in an outdoor cafe. Um, and of course, Calvin's a jerk about it. While they're sitting near each other, suddenly Calvin starts getting telekinetic abilities. It's like, wait a second. I bet that woman over there is also one of the X-Men. If I follow her, she'll take me to the others. So they get back to the, um, the mansion and Hank and Bobby are like, dad, we saw this guy who had our powers. And Xavier's like, don't worry. It'll be okay. Um, Calvin shows up at the door wearing some really cool sunglasses, which is pretty handy since Cyclops opens the door and then suddenly light starts shining in Calvin's eyes, but the sunglasses keep it back because regular sunglasses can do that, don't you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then Calvin goes to the bathroom and he's like, oh my gosh, my, my back is starting to itch. He takes off his shirt and oh, look, now he has wings. As it comes out, now he's wearing this big orange costume with an M on it, because I guess it just had that like lying around. It's just a little thing you threw on today. And he's like, okay, X-Men, no more pretending. I have mimicked all your powers, because I'm the mimic. You know, it's, 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 it's a thing. Anyways, so Xavier's like, oh, no, he has all your powers. X-Men, fight him. So all the X-Men fight him, but he actually beats them all, and he takes... Uh, Jean Grey prisoner and hops into a car and drives away so they get in their X-Men helicopter because they have one of those and they start going after him. Meanwhile, Mimic starts telling Jean all about his uh, his backstory, how his dad was doing some science and actually knocked over a beaker and the gas got all over his son and then all of a sudden um, 
Calvin was able to do anything people around him were able to do. He could fight with the fighting people. He could do baseball with the baseball people. He could pass tests with the smart people. And um, his dad worked in this mine, right? That's where he likes to do science is in the mines. Um, and the mines explode and kill his dad. So the mimic has been um, telling Jean about all this. And she's like, the boy in the story was you. He's like, yes, the boy in the story was me. So then the X-Men show up outside the mine and um, they're all under 18. So they fit up right at home, you know, being miners. And um, Ouch. ha ha. <laughs> Anyways, they go inside and there's fighting um, Mimic, Grass Professor Xavier, which gives him telepathic abilities. Um, but then something happens and the Mimic collapses. There's a, he's trying to get into the back room that was collapsed in the original explosion because the back room has a way for him to permanently gain powers or oh gain. that's what this room is okay yeah permanent, permanent so that's why powers. that's why he kidnapped her because he wants to telekinetically move the rock gotcha so he telekinetically moves the rock he takes xavier to the back gets the telepathic powers then flips the switch to make all of his power mimics permanent and it overloads or doesn't quite work mm -hmm. and he uh, gets shocked blasts and passes out the uh, X-Men all get to safety. Angel carries Xavier out. And they basically leave the Mimic in the, um, in the field. Uh, all of his um, powers have gone. Xavier wipes his mind. They call a cab for him and he leaves and they helicopter on home. Next issue, the return of Eunice, the Blob, and the mysterious Lucifer. That is definitely enough said. And Xavier explains, because somehow he knows, even though they don't explain how, that his dad was never trying to make his powers permanent. He was trying to get rid of them. So that's why we let the machine go. Oh, that's right. And it's like, how did you know that? I don't know. Okay. So you mentioned before that the Mimic was the X-Men's most DC villain. Well, have I? We've talked about the Mimic before. Yeah. I, I mean, I was thinking about that. I don't remember exactly when you said that, but I wrote down the note. Well, there's a lot of characters that have these whole, like, we steal other people's characters' powers thing. Yeah, because it's like a Mazo. There's a Mazo. There's Marvel has the super adaptoid and it has Mimic. Um, and, and Lily wanted to submit for evidence Exhibit A, the Super Scroll. Super Scroll. So maybe he's more of a Marvel character after all, but I feel like DC has more than just the one, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think now and I can't. But I do feel like stealing the powers for the sake of having a person who has all of your hero's powers feels like a DC gimmick. And that's just kind of, how about, about the uh, composite Superman? No, that's kind of a thing. Composite um, Superman. Yeah. Cause he has all the Legion's powers. Yeah. And actually the mimic does basically get to fight Amazo later. The Avengers version of Amazo. Well, I got to say, I enjoy the mimic. I don't know if I like the story, but I like the mimic. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah, I think his powers are cool and he looked cool. Like whoever, I can't remember, uh, you know, fake Jay Gavin drew him cool. So it was like neat to see like this guy who sort of transforms right in front of them whenever they get near him and he can like take them on and all that. But I think like my big problem maybe is the end where it's like, he's not a mutant. It might've just been easier if he was a mutant, uh, instead of all this weirdness about his dad and like the townspeople going crazy because he's really good at everything like that makes a mob try to kill you that's weird and stuff like that the whole machine thing that xavier knows too much about all that was weird but i liked all the mimic fighting and his introduction and stuff yeah it's like the actual narrative was pretty great but like the backstory and some of the some of the details um, yeah I, I, I think this issue is enhanced by the fact that the mimic comes back and does more later 
Yes, probably much like the Swordsman or uh, Wonder Man or whatever. We know that he's got more in him than just this one story. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, during this original run, the uh, Mimic does have you know a several issue span where he's involved in the stories, and they do a lot of stuff with that. Um, mm-hmm. During the opening fight scene, Jean Grey is levitating because she can do that now, which is a pretty mm-hmm. good use of her power. Um, she's reading monsters to laugh with. Seems like an odd time to be reading when you're training, but maybe that's part of her training is to turn the pages or something. Right, fine, holding yourself fine-tuned tune power. Pages. Yeah. She says, I hope her training session doesn't end too soon. I'm really enjoying this issue. And I'm like, Jean, mm-hmm. don't lie. <laughs> no one ever found monsters to laugh with that riveting. Oh, she got paid for that plug. Yeah. Probably. And Beast is all like, why is the benign beast so prejudiced against? If I were a mere anthropoid, I'd be receiving a tumultuous ovation by now. And I'm just like, is Beast literally saying, if I were an actual beast, you'd think I was cool? I think that's what he's saying. It's hard to tell because he's so smart. I can't understand him. It's just weird. It's like, I'm a human doing things you're not appreciating. But if I were an ape doing these things, you'd think it was really awesome. And I'm like, Hank, what? why? Yeah. I don't know if it's the art style or what, but I feel like the costumes look different. But then I look back on the older issues and they don't look different. So it's just bothering me that they look different, but they don't. Um, there may be some slight changes in the contours. Especially Cyclops on page two. That just seems way like a lot of yellow. And I don't know. Well, there is a thing down the road um, where they get like a slight modification to their suit. So Uh your brain may be reminding you, even though we haven't seen that yet, your brain may be reminding you of that. And that does have less yellow in it. Could be. Um, Um, Okay, so page two. uh Uh-huh. Iceman and Beast and Cyclops. Fear not, group, the beast shall persevere. And Cyclops says, careful, boy. And it's like, he's never thought of me as a boy before. Remember that word, (laughs) Iceman? When he called him a man, he's never thought of me uh-huh. as a man before. No, so he just goes back and forth? Yeah. I don't think Cyclops has a dec- I think Bobby read way too much into that moment that Cyclops actually meant. <laughs> right. Yeah, because that kind of never really went anywhere, even though he was the supposedly going to be the reason Magneto's defeated, but that didn't really go anywhere either. No. No, it, it, it didn't. Speaking of not going anywhere, I enjoyed that they had a social life and we were introduced to these females and then that didn't go anywhere, but that doesn't mean they can't come back. It's definitely going to come back. I mean, the whole Zelda Veer thing, they're they are the recurring minor characters. Okay, um, cool. They're never involved in the, at least not during this era, they're never involved in the superheroics, but they are recurring regulars for Hank and Bobby. Awesome. Um I had forgotten that Vera knows Calvin. I don't know if they do anything with that aspect later. Although I, th- I think, <gasps> yes, they do. That takes him into, yeah. Yeah, the fact that Vera knows Calvin actually becomes a really big deal in about 10 years. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Someone finally mined that, huh? <laughs> Seven or eight years, maybe. Yeah, because, um, you know, Hank goes off and has a little solo series before he joins mm-hmm. the Avengers, you know? Mm-hmm. And during the yeah, latter that, oh. part of that, that was a really bizarre solo series, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Vera shows up towards the end of that, and then Vera and Hank go off in pursuit of the Mimic, if I'm remembering right, and that goes into the Incredible Hulk series. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Was that the series where like he's blue at that point? Yeah, he starts out like and black like, and gray, but then with blue highlights, yeah, but then the blue yeah, becomes yeah. A, he goes to he's, he's got some crazy, like animalistic, angry personality changes because of this whole blue fur thing for a while. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was that series. So it's kind of like, it's not really Beast you're reading. It's like this weird, out-of-control Beast. Yeah. His color skin goes to the same changes that Spider-Man's and Batman's did. Uh-huh. Black, 
And then black with blue highlights. And, and then, then the blue highlights become blue. Blue fuzzball, yeah. Um, not that we need to point this out much longer all the time because it's going to become commonplace. But page six, we have some Muti hate. So yes. it's a thing now. Um, Muti hate and it, it's against Calvin instead of against our friends. But you'd think that Hank would have reacted more strongly to it since he yeah. was the recipient of the whole thing last time that we saw this happen. Well, unfortunately, we don't see their point of view because once they show up to chase Calvin, it's all Calvin's point of view and he escapes and jumps up to the building and has his whole thing, his whole revelation. And we don't really know what, what, what the other, the others are doing. Cause he left them basically. Right. So he says he wants know. to find the others. I'm thinking finding the others is only going to work if you get stalkery and sure. What does he do? He gets stalkery. Yeah, he follows. He Gino. gets stalkery. Yep. Lucky he found Gene. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the whole sunglasses holding the ray beams back, the, op- mm-hmm. the optic beams and stuff. You're right. I don't believe they've, said at all anything about special Ruby Cork's glasses at this point, right? They have not. But also we know that Cyclops can't control his power, and they haven't established this yet, but he can't control his power because he got bonked on the head at a, at a young age. So oh. Mimic Mimic should be able to control his power because Mimic doesn't have brain damage. Why would, he, why would he absorb brain damage, you know? Unless he does, unless, I guess. Unless he does. Maybe, yeah. I guess we could just say that's exactly what happens. Well, he, he absorbs the damaged brain tissue along he, with the eye powers. He could because part of his powers is before he met the mutants, he could just hang out with a smart person and suddenly be smart. So maybe when he hangs out with like a crippled person, does he become crippled? You know I what know. I mean? I don't know. Well, either. Uh, Xavier's right there and that didn't happen. Oh, yeah, you're right. He didn't fall over there. So I bet you his mimicking ability is going to be very plot driven. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just think it could be interesting if he could actually control the. Right. And, and doesn't I can't thing. control my powers, but the writer can. But he does have a costume that has built-in goggles, so I'm going to assume that that's always the case, and he needs them too for some reason. Or possibly expected that he would need. What if he doesn't actually need them? He just thinks he does, and he had it ready. Because there was no comments from him, like, "Oh gosh, my eyes are just constantly shooting laser beams now. This sucks." Right. Yeah. He changes clothes and he changes those goggles. Mm-hmm. Maybe he realized that he does not need to. Maybe they just slapped those sunglasses on so they didn't have to figure this part out. Maybe. We'll just cover it for now. Also, the fact that it's just plain old sunglasses. We're going to retcon later. These have been Ruby Quartz glasses the entire time. Even though um, they're black. Even though they're black during these early colorings. Mm-hmm. The question becomes, where did Mimic get Ruby Quartz glasses? Exactly. So that's why I'm wondering if he's just putting the glasses on because he thinks he needs them, but he doesn't really need them. So they're doing nothing. Okay, so for all the retcons to work out, I think we're going to have to say <laughs> he absorbs Scott's powers, but does yeah. not absorb the weakness. He is able to control the blasts, but had the glasses on anyways because he wasn't sure or didn't expect to be able to. But it's a good thing because those glasses that he has would not have worked. <laughs> right. I Although, think that makes it all make sense. Almost, except he never met Scott up until this exact moment. So why would he put the glasses on in the first place? But maybe he saw Cyclops in action once and figured goggles, glasses, same thing. Yeah, because he knows about the X-Men. And he, yes. whenever he sees his powers and gets called a mutant, he recognizes that he's the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he comes with a, uh, um, he comes prepared to get wings. Yes. I liked all that. I actually think that's cool because the X-Men are public figures and they've probably been on the news. So if suddenly he develops ice powers, well, what superhero has ice powers? Iceman, X-Men. Okay, this makes sense. Right. 
Now, like if we go that. by if we go by you know Marvels, they're kind of you know still in hiding, not really that well known. But really, all indications during these early stories are that the X Men are known. Yeah, their first issue was newscast them fighting Magneto. Their second issue was saving uh, some politicians on the White House front lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had issues where chicks go running up to Angel and fawn all over him because he's hot in his Angel outfit. You're right. You're right. So they're public. I think they're known. Yeah, I they're agree. totally know. So yeah. once he realized there was the X Men, he he was he was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, their X Men helicopter has little X's on it. Oh my god! That whoever did that was the worst. <laughs> it's like really, that's the best you could do, Bobby. I got a sharpie, guys. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, I feel like there's some. Is but, it is it like cake decorators that have the little crosshairs cut in the nozzle? So here's the yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. I don't know. What, I know what you're talking about. I don't know what they're called. Yeah, but, put uh, the, the, the the tips to put the frosting on the cake, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So here's what's weird, and I know hindsight is twenty twenty, and I shouldn't talk because I wasn't there. But like, you know, the Batmobile was established by early forties, if not thirty nine or something. My memory sucks right now, but like a long time ago compared to this story, right? Twenty years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. At no point when they're making like these really generic Avengers helicopters or X Men helicopters does anybody say, you know, what would be great is if we came up with some really cool high gadget thing that Iron Man built specifically for the Avengers or something like that should be right out of the gate. Don't you think? Mm. I don't know. Like an artist is drawing this helicopter and putting X's on it and no one thought, Hey, why don't we make this more interesting? Right. Like they obviously have procured a helicopter so they can get the vehicle. Yeah. So why don't make this like the, the X vehicle, the X plane or something. I'm not saying it has to be the black bird immediately. It could be something else, but Mm -hmm. like, it's not like they're like they're just not even trying though. It's just weird because there's precedent for it. There's other characters who've had dedicated vehicles that are badass that everybody loves. So it's just weird that they take their time to come up with these Quinjets and Blackbirds and things and Spider-Man mobiles. Spider-Man mobiles. Did you um? Did you happen to listen to very many episodes of the Golden Age Superman show? Um. Yeah, I think I did. So there was a strip in the backups of Action Comics. That mm-hmm. I, at first at least, found really annoying. It was sports adventure. And so the main character, Pep Morgan, would oh, be involved gosh. in some different sport every story. And he was always the best there was at everything. And it just uh-huh. felt really annoying to me because it's like, oh my gosh, he can do everything. Uh, uh-huh. and, and that's Cal Rankin in the flashback. Yes, it is. And everybody's reacting to him the same way I reacted to Pep Morgan. Yes. But you didn't form a mob and try and murder him. Well, he has a drawing. He has a drawing. I just feel like it's not like Calvin looks like a monster or anything. Now, maybe they actually start realizing that he is some sort of mutant thing. But, like, he doesn't change his appearance just around regular people that I know of. Um, so they're just, they're just more like – it's showing pictures of him, like, being really good at fighting, really good, being really good at baseball. And then, like, the classmates are all like, I don't trust guys who could be really good at everything. And then we cut to, like – him in the mine with his dad and his dad's on looking at the TV screen going, oh, no, the whole town is an angry mob and they're going to come kill us because well, of I'm, you. I'm reading, I'm reading the details here. The, they're aware that there's a bunch of crazy science going on in the mine. Okay. And um, they do an experiment that causes all of the lights to go out in the town. Mm, okay. However, Jay Gavin could have meant it the way you're reading it. 
Because it's certainly, if you don't read the narration, that's exactly what it seems like. They're hating Mimic. They go to the mine. They're doing science. There's an alarm. And the people are there to lynch them. And there's an explosion. The boy survives. An angry, so, fear-crazed mob is capable of anything, is what the dude says. Uh-huh. But I guess I guess that could be because they took away their internet or something. I don't know. Yeah, the previous thing, it says um, the machine drained so much current, it short-circuited every fuse in the country. And Calvin mm. says, according to the radio, people are suspicious of what's been happening here. They know they're a powerful mm. machine operating, but they don't know why. I mean, so they trace. Just send out PG&E, you know? I mean, it's <laughs> not that hard. We're freaking crazy. Agreed. Agreed. No need to Tim Burton the whole thing. Anyway. <laughs> we need some Danny Elfman music on the X-Men 19. <laughs> uh-huh. um, page 17, panel two. He says, it's working. The mental power I'm now able to mimic from the professor can easily locate the exact spot where the machine <sighs> lies buried. Yes, that's right. That's they not still- telepathy. No, again, they're still getting telepathy wrong. I would like to retcon this, though not retcon so much as headcanon, that Mimic is actually just misunderstanding which power he is using here. And Mm -hmm. he's using Gene's telekinesis to probe into the mound and see what's behind some of the rocks. I'll believe that telekinesis can feel out a situation more than I'll believe that telepathy can. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you can lift things with your mind, then why can't you reach out and touch things with your mind, right? That mm-hmm. makes per- that makes good sense to me. And also, that's, that's the reason he kidnapped her in the first place. So yeah, that was just a bad dialogue balloon. It should have been telekinesis from the girl, not right. telepathy from the old man. Right. Um, Xavier, I already made the joke about Xavier should not go in the K, but the X-Men are okay because they're minors. I already made that uh-huh. joke. Though. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And my last note is the same thing you said. How did the professor know everything about the dad? He says, you see, Timmy, Dr. Rankin uh-huh. knew the powers of mimicry, which his son had accidentally obtained, could only lead him into terrible trouble. And so although the lad didn't realize it, his father created a machine to take those powers away. And now since I mentally removed the memory of all that's occurred, he's free to leave. A new normal life awaits him. So that's why he wants to let him use the machine. You sense it all the time. How did he know that? Maybe when he was a teenager, it's like, I'm just going to get rid of these telepathy powers of mine because they're a real drag. And he made a machine, but then never went through with it. And then he saw this machine and went, oh, it's the same doodads and widgets that I was going to do that one time. So it's this power stripping machine, not an adding machine. Okay. I just made that up because that's not possible either. But yeah, you're right. It makes no sense. How does he know? Where do you get that information from? I'd rather the impossible thing that at least has a little bit more sense than the other impossible thing. (laughs) Anyway, like I said, I liked the mimic a lot. I just feel, especially when we start getting into his origin towards the end and all that machine stuff, that I kind of went ho-hum. Like, I was much more interested in the first beginning in the middle of this story than the end. The mimic needs to be a mutant. They did the backstory of him not being a mutant so they could do the ending of the story and give him, like, a goal and it's something to do. But, mm-hmm. like, the concept of the mimic, he needs to be a mutant. It just needs to be the way it is. I, and I... Don't know if this happens, but does that happen? Like, do they just completely retcon this to him being a mutant someday, somehow? No, no, he's always tied to this cave and the stuff that's going on in the science. Okay, well then, I think we've spoiled it already that someday he's going to be an X-Man, right? He is going to be an X-Man someday, yep. Uh, Does that make him, like, the only X-Man who was not a mutant? (gasps) Because he's not a mutant, so why is he an X-Man? Oh, you're right. They should be more racist than that. Does Juggernaut ever join the team? Does oh, he ever go yes. Good for a while? He, you know what? I think he's in like an Excalibur type team at some point or something. Okay. So there you go. There's two. But see, that's another one I think should just be a mutant too. But I know some people like the whole amulet thing. I don't know. Just 
But in the movies, they always just make him a mutant because it's simpler. Mm. Everybody has powers. They're mutants. That's it. So my first anyway. mimic story, just to throw this out there for me about Daredevil, my first mm-hmm. mimic story was Exiles. Oh, I forgot he was in that, huh? He's like the leader of the team. So he's been in the X-Men longer than just that one little stint that's coming up. Um, he's been, I don't know if he's been a regular in any book beyond that little stint until the Exiles. Like he comes and goes, last I, uh, I know he's in a Marvel Comics Presents story with Wolverine, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he ever comes back in 616 after that. Okay. I don't well, have to look it up. And, and the Exiles are obviously a, a quote-unquote X book, but they're not really an X team, right? I mean, no, because they're not, they're like, yeah, none of the uh, members are present universe X right. people. They just travel around to alternate realities and stuff. But yeah, that's enough of that. You want to go Daredevil? Daredevil, number 15, another book that starts with number one. And men shall call him Ox, as they have already been calling him. Uh, there's no recap because just like X-Men, I think we're starting fresh with a new story. So, mm-hmm. uh, Unsurpassed Story by Stan Lee. Unexcelled Penciling by John Romita. Unparalleled Inking by Frankie Ray. Unabashed Lettering by Artie Simek. Daredevil's All. So Daredevil's patrolling. He looks awesome patrolling. He goes back to the office. He senses that Foggy and – I was going to say Foggy and Harriet just now on accident. <laughs> Foggy, Foggy and Karen – are there foggy is having a dizzy spell and he's like you know ever since that ox guy hit me uh in daredevil number six that keeps happening so they get a doctor in there i'm telling this a little out of order but that's okay they get a doctor in there and he's like yeah that's gonna just keep happening he needs rest and foggy's like oh okay i should go home karen takes him home foggy's like i better not be home too long because matt's pathetic and needs me but matt's like yay they're gone i can just actually read with my fingers instead of with my fingers um, but meanwhile, speaking of the ox, he's in jail from the last time he encountered Daredevil, I think. Or has he been somewhere else since then? I don't remember. But he's I in think jail. It was Daredevil. Yeah, he's in jail. And he's jailed with, boy, I don't know if this dude has a name, but a twerpy little science guy who's supposedly really smart. And he's promising ox, you know, ox, if you break us out of this jail, I will make you smarter. And speaking of smart, the prison apparently just arrests ox and, like, doesn't account for like his amazing strength and stuff because he's like okay i'll get us out and he rips the bars open and he beats up all the police and they get out and they go to the science guy's like secret warehouse and he's like okay ox i promise to make you smart lay on this frankenstein table and by the way there's another one right next to you for me i'm just going to give you a smidgen of my brain so that's why we're both laying on this thing together okay and ox is like okay i'm sound good but it's not true it's really a freaky friday machine and it swaps their brains. Dun, dun, so dun. now I'm going to call New Ox, New Ox, because he's got the body of the ox, but the brains of the scientist whose name I don't know. And Dr. Old Strag. O- Dr. Strag. Okay. I guess I'll just call him Dr. Strag, even though he's essentially Ox now. And then Ox is Dr. Strag, because he's stuck in this body and he wakes up. He's like, oh, no, I'm weak. What'd you do to me? And Dr. Strag smacks Ox. I hope this isn't confusing. But smacks Ox and knocks him out and takes off. Daredevil hears all this, like, that the ox escaped prison on the radio. So he goes out to patrol. Um, He follows the path of destruction because Dr. Whatever has decided that it's fun to destroy things, I guess. But also he's kind of commenting to himself that he's not really sure why he's doing this. He feels like his brain may be slipping a little bit. Um, But Daredevil finds him. And wouldn't you know it, he finds him just as the ox is crossing paths 
with a Karen Page who's walking home. Karen's like, oh my God, you're the ox. I know you. And the ox, the new ox, who's not really the ox, is like, uh-oh, she knows the old ox. I guess I better snatch her before I don't know what. But before he can do that, Daredevil confronts him. They get into a big fight. Daredevil notices that the ox is talking a lot more good than he used to. Um, Karen screams so loud at one point that the radar sense gets jammed up a little bit. And new ox is able to smack Daredevil really hard with a big old pole. Knocks Daredevil out and then proceeds to talk about how smart he is. And here's proof. I brought an extra set of ox clothes and I'm going to dress Daredevil up as the ox. And then when the cops show up, they're going to think he did all this. That's how smart I am. So he grabs Karen. She faints. And he takes her back to his lair to I don't know why. The cops show up. You have to picture this. It's literally Daredevil with his mask on and gloves and boots in like a yellow shirt and pants. And they're like, oh. I guess he was the ox this whole time. Let's arrest him. So they do. And he wakes up and is like, oh, man, I'm in jail. I'm not the ox. Um, But the ox comes home. By the ox, I mean the new ox. And he confronts the old ox who's still there. And old ox is like, I'm feeling like I'm a little smarter. And new ox is feeling like he's a little dumber. And as new ox is deciding what to do with Karen, old ox grabs like, I don't know what it is, a big old giant scientific device hanging in the off the roof, and he smacks it into the back of Ox's head, which knocks him over and makes him pass out. Um, old Ox and Karen shuffle off. New Ox wakes up and runs out to try and catch them, but he gets uh, almost hit by a police car. In a state of fury, he flips the police car over and gets away. But of course, now the police have heard the story. One of their own got attacked by ox so i guess daredevil can't be ox he's just daredevil in a green outfit so okay you can leave even though you're still an illegal vigilante get out of here so daredevil goes after him the ox goes up to some random building on the top floor where there's a helicopter and he's thinking i'm just going to jump in this building and once or jump in this helicopter and once i get this thing in the air i'm free and clear um but daredevil catches him and they start to fight and at one point There's this panel where the ox is really, like the new ox's brain is really slipping. It's like eking back to the old ox or something. And he decides in a state of rage to jump at Daredevil, who's standing at the ledge of the building. Daredevil's like, don't, you fool, and leaps out of the way. And the new ox falls to his death, in theory. Old ox in Professor's puny body is watching the whole thing from street level in a trench coat. And he's like, you know, I actually feel a little smarter than I used to. Maybe this isn't so bad after all. Maybe, uh, you know, it's nice not to be the dead ox over there. I think I'm going to turn myself back in and give myself a second chance. So that's the end of his story for now. And we cut to Matt Murdock returning to find Foggy and Karen working. Uh, Foggy's all excited that he got to somewhat, at least a little bit, represent Daredevil while he was in prison. He, like, filled out some paperwork for him, I guess. And Matt's like, wow, that's really impressive. You got to do something for Daredevil. That's cool. And Karen's like, yeah, and he saved my life. I wonder who that masked man is. Next issue, Spider-Man. Da-da-da, Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, okay, that happened. So the ox is no longer the ox. But he kind of yeah. is. But he is. Right. Yeah. But the, the ox is dead, and now the ox is going to live out his life in Professor Strag's body. But, like, their intelligences is, is were sort of being restored, but not. I don't know. Like, I guess they're, for want of a better word, their uh, their soul or their aura or something remained themselves. Okay. 
so but not their abilities to think? There's actually some relationship to reality in the science fiction here. Okay. Intelligence and ability have at least a partial, maybe a total basis in biology. So mm-hmm. if we accept the fictitious idea of switching minds, mm-hmm. then it makes sense the mind would then have to function within the new biology. Okay. The intelligence of the person would have to work within the new brain. Got so the that doctor, makes sense. he might mm-hmm. start out, you know, smart and strongly, strong, you know, thinker, but would almost immediately find it more difficult to process and retain information. Because the ox's brain does not process or retain information physically very well. Right. Yeah. And ox would find the exact process reversed. He would find it easier to think, easier to retain information. Um, Hypothetically, the ox could have the ability to now learn and retain anything that the doctor could have learned and retained before. Mm-hmm. So it's just that he initially knew as much as the original ox knew. Right. And now he's starting to process things differently and become more aware of what's going on with himself. Right. So whatever is in our biology that gives us a greater or lesser intelligence, they're basically taking what they know and putting it in that new vehicle and having to drive. And the doctor is going to have a harder time in the ox's brain. And the ox mm-hmm. is going to find it a lot easier in the doctor's brain, which is, you know. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, they did, they did stories like this before. And a lot of times the person, you know, starts thinking, but then like goes evil with all the new thinking ability. And this is kind of Uh the reverse of that story. Yeah. Um, I'm actually surprised he went back to prison. Yeah. Like he's trying to make an ethical choice instead of the easy Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. He's like, he wants a second chance. So he's going to turn himself back in and actually process himself properly. So he doesn't have to be on the run his whole life, I guess. The, the, I actually really like a lot of this story. There are. There mm-hmm. are a lot of charged words and phrases about intelligence, a lot of really, really gross insults <laughs> uh-huh. being bandied around in this book about intelligence. If you can get past that, this is a pretty cool story and a pretty interesting direction for the ox. I just have one question. Mm-hmm. Are they implying that people of lesser intellectual ability are more inclined to criminal behavior? Because once the ox swaps bodies, he seems to lose the criminal side of himself. And I'm okay with that in like a single instance for the ox, uh-huh. but I don't know if I like it as a general implication. Well, except that the scientist guy was evil from the beginning and he's been smart the whole time. Okay, that does help to offset that. You're right. And we also have countless villains in the Marvel Universe who are all about their intelligence. So I'm not sure that Marvel is saying that necessarily. Okay, I didn't think about the whole like dichotomy. Like you have the um, the ox being a criminal and getting mm. smart and choosing not to crime, but you have the guy who's already smart and chooses to go with crime. I didn't really mm-hmm. think about the whole because they, they do all sort of offset each other for the story. You're right. Now, what they are maybe saying is that the ox just hasn't had the opportunity to be anything but a criminal because his brain doesn't function high enough, which might be insulting, but maybe not. Maybe they're saying that. You know, education is a good thing because it makes people not criminals or something like that. Educational is a good thing because it at least gives you more options and choices. Yes. People with limited resources and limited choices, yes, generally are more inclined to choose bad options because it might feel like the only thing they can do. I mean, I don't know the ox's origin, but he's presumably been big and dumb his whole life. So I guess at up to this point, he's decided that that's the only thing he can accomplish is being a brute. 
Mm-hmm. And now he feels like, wow, I'm actually thinking about things and I can like do other things, like go back to prison and become a lawyer or something. I'm on the brute squad. You are the brute squad. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so there were some things. Let's see. I had forgotten that Ox was in this book before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad they mentioned it because I had completely forgotten. This um, is like so. This is like the second Ox appearance in a Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Was the and I can't remember what the last story was, but wasn't he like leading the charge or something with a group? He was with Mister Fear in the Fellowship oh. of Fear. With Mr. the eel and... Oh, yeah. Okay. So Mr. Fear was leading the charge. Right. Um, so do you think they're just like trying to give Daredevil some Spider-Man leftovers or something? Um, I don't know. He is definitely Spider-Man light in a lot of ways. He is. Or they certainly like... Remember his first issue? They're like, if you like Spider-Man, you'll love Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And they're giving him a lot of that same kind of drama and you know unrequited love stuff and all that. Best friends. Actually, he's got a best friend before Peter has a best friend. The uh, the ox? No, Daredevil. I'm sorry. I was looking at something up. Yes, Daredevil. Because he has Matt Murdock, right? No, because Daredevil has, has Foggy he Nelson. Has Foggy Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, brain. And, and Peter has nobody until... Right now. Until, what's his name? Harry, right? Basically. Until he and Harry decide to be friends. Yeah. Sorry, I was looking up ox chronology for a second there, and my brain got, got uh, sort of disconnected. Um, okay, so... I mean, Daredevil and Matt are very good friends, I think. Yeah. Although sometimes they don't get along. Matt and Mike get along really well, though. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Page five. Uh Uh-huh. Here's the thing. Karen. (laughs) Okay. I can totally relate to her thought bubble here. Page five, panel two. She thinks, "Um, Matt, if only you'd give me some sign that you care, something for my heart to cling to. Because I've had crushes, I'm sure you've had crushes on people that we just wished would show some sign that maybe the interest was returned. Uh Uh-huh. And we don't get that sign. And it's And it's never enough. Right. This is a genuine emotion. The difficulty is this is her only note as a character. Uh, Pretty much, unfortunately. Like, we've talked about how Jane Foster is one of our least fleshed out female characters. And mm-hmm. then I was reading this issue, I was thinking, oh, now wait a second, what about Karen? Right. You know, it's kind of sad. Every time we say something like that, like Jane Foster's the worst, then there is always a what about this so-and-so instead. Because right. they're just not great about any supporting cast women at this point, really, Mm-mm. are they? Is that a, too much of a blanket statement? But I kind of feel like it's true. Like, I mean, honestly, we got more of a character note from Vera last issue of X-Men than we have for Karen other than her attraction to Matt. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to blow my mind through like all the supporting. I'm not talking about like the wasp who's a superhero and stuff. Although, you know, obviously those and Sue storm and stuff, those are lacking too, but like the supporting, supporting characters, cast. like, uh, I just Liz can't think of and Betty were both people. They were for a while. And now Liz is kind of, or Betty's kind of insane. I don't know if they're, if that's a good thing or not. It seems like they've just, <laughs> decided to make her mental or something. But at least right. she's, she's had some things. I was really into, is it Dory or Dora? Dory Evans. Dory Evans, her first appearance, I liked the setup that they had going with her, like her not liking Johnny being a superhero. That mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. But then that just literally goes nowhere. So that was kind of a shame. Um, yeah, yeah. They're just all not great. And I wonder when that's going to change. Probably a ways away, but. Probably. If it changes. 
Like Pepper, the, Pepper is now switched from loving Tony to loving Iron Man, but that's a huge character change. You know, it's just another pine. Well, I, but I, I could say that I feel like I know Pepper's personality a little bit by this point. Like, especially because her early stuff with Happy wasn't driven by romance. Uh, that's it was true. By, meanness. Yeah, they had their yeah. snippy interactions, but like I, I, that's at least a character note beyond I love yeah. this guy. Why don't they love me? You know. Yeah, that's true. So Pepper's our best. Female supporting character, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. I am less sympathetic to Matt in this story because he does not want Karen to like him out of pity. So he's preventing her from getting the chance to like him, which is presumptuous and self-centered and a her agency. Except that Karen has multiple times tried to fix his eyes, which is probably annoying. That's true. So maybe he's just, maybe he's putting up a wall based on those conversations. Like, oh, she just doesn't like that I'm blind. She pities me. Oh, she's he's reading more into it than should be there, yeah. Because in her thought, Baluda was always like, I don't care if he's blind. I'm just trying to make him happy, and he always seems sad. So this mm-hmm. might make him happy. But in his thought, Baluda, she doesn't understand that I'm fine with my blindness and because she, she doesn't know I have all these cool powers and stuff, and she just really needs to stop with the whole, like, fixing my blindness because there's nothing wrong with it. And if he were, like bitter about his blindness if that was like a major character trait for him it might give him a choice to like don't pity me because i'm blind like that kind of an mm-hmm. attitude would make more sense but i, I agree with mm-hmm. your read that he's probably just over reading karen's yeah. choices and originally he also was backing off because he could sense that foggy had the hots for her they did go through that phase too yep and, and then that seems to be gone that seems to be gone so it's just about the blindness now i guess um boy his hair's the- red that was just a random thought that Popped in my head right now. Matt's hair? Matt's hair is very red. It is very red. It's like Archie red. Anyway, great art. No, I was just turning back to it. Yeah, they were doing it. They were doing more brown early on, weren't they? I feels like it. This is like soup. This is like Daredevil red hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which isn't really how redheads work, but that's okay. I love the John Romita, though. That's just fantastic stuff. Yeah, John Romita throughout this is great. His faces on the ox are really good. Um, um, we're getting super spoiled with art right now. It's 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 just getting this major sweet spot between John Romita on a bunch of comics, Jack Kirby on a bunch of comics, Gene Colan on a comic or two. It's mm-hmm. like, dang. Even when the stories are bad, I'm enjoying flipping the pages. So Yeah, just looking at them. Yeah. Um, on page 14, Karen says, no, I won't go with you. I won't. And the mm-hmm. ox says, don't be a fool, woman. You don't have any choice. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's, that's like all of the patriarchy talking to women in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Just do what I say. Don't be a fool. You have no choice. Well, I guess we could argue that he's becoming more bull or, you know, ox-like at this point, but they, he probably more, would have done this anyway. More bullheaded. I'm not even sure why he's where he's taking her or why he feels he needs to. Well, I can't leave you behind to tell the police what I've done. Okay. That's his motivation for taking her with him. Why did he do that to begin with, though? He just felt the need to destroy public property because it's not smart? Um, let's see. What is he doing that attracts Karen's attention? Or well, Karen was just walking home. He sees her. She sees him and says, oh, no, you're the ox. And he's like, oh, she recognizes the ox. I better find out how and why she knows me. It might be dangerous to me my new identity. That's a tenuous reason. Well, before that, page 11, it's he was escaped. He's trying to run from the cops because I guess they're still on his tail. And he, but now he has this newfound, never-before-experienced sense of ultimate strength. So he stops to kill cars and break fire hydrants. And You're cause right. Fires. He does just kind of go on a savage rampage because right. he yeah. can. He could have just left. Like, I've got science to do. Going to go head back home. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, Karen knows me. God, it's just 
I feel like this is the third time that Daredevil gets dressed up as a bad guy. That's like a thing with him. <laughs> he dressed up as the frog. He dressed up as the uh, one of the soldiers that the last story arc. That guy. Right. Can't remember that guy's name. So like every issue. Didn't he do that in the castle too? He would dress up as oh, a yeah, in the castle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's four times. Wow, how funny. But this is really okay. silly. Like he looks like Daredevil, not like Ox. It's really dumb, but that's okay. Um, I also like how they call it the Ox suit. He's dressed in the ox's clothes. <laughs> They're just clothes. They're just clothes. But apparently he has multiple op- multiple uh, Bruce Banner closet versions of the same outfit or something. Yeah. It's, um, it's the only thing that'll fit. And that's it. That's how the ox died. That's If he is dead, that's how he died. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could rewrite later that he survived the fall or something. But I don't think so. I think he died. He seems to have died. It's Marvel, though. So I'm guessing that it's not true. But anyway, I'm good to move on if you are. All right. You get Flipping this one. This pages. was a pretty good one. No, it was an okay one. Never mind. Thor 127. Spoilers, the it was hammer. an okay one. It was an okay one. Uh, the Hammer and the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly the most magnificent chronicle of Thor ever presented by Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby artist, Vince Coletta delineator, Sam Rosen letterer. All right. Um, I'm just going to let Thor catch us up. You no longer speak to mighty Thor. Instead, you see before you a hollow mockery of him who had been God of Thunder. As punishment for my rash defiance of his will, my father hath stripped me of half my power. I know not what further indignity may await me, but the guilt was mine alone. So must the penance be mine. Now none shall share it with me. So he's basically telling Jane to get away. She's like, I still love you. He's like, no, you don't love me. And he like shoves her away and runs off and... Um, jumps into the air and there's a car that like hits somebody and everyone's like, oh my gosh, he might be hurt. And Jane says, I'm a nurse. I'm going to help him. Meanwhile, um, in Hollywood at Stardust Studios, everyone's talking about the new producer and how he wants this whole office done up in this really weird uh, Hercules studio movie set design. And the new producer's name, get this, kids, is Pluto. <laughs> but it turns out he's not a real producer. He's just a dwarf producer. He's Pluto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was, just to be clear, that was a joke about the planet nomenclature, not about little people. Um, so Pluto's there, and he is definitely not just a producer. He is definitely the Greek guy Pluto because he is um, out to get Hercules and mm-hmm. he even conjures up this like green fire face of a, a slave who's like looking over the underworld while Pluto's out um, and uh, he has some sort of plan hatched to get Hercules to take his place living in the underworld. Meanwhile, Thor is uh, throwing his hammer into the air he finds a rocky crag to sit on. He goes and sits and mopes and is morose. Odin's watching down on him. He's like, oh my gosh, why did I take his, his power away? What madness made me do this? Hey, um, hey, Sadring, can I uh, go ahead and be a good man? Give me my power back so I, could take Sa- so I can give Thor his power back. And Sadring's like, uh, no, I will not. I have the power now and I'm going to blast you with it. Odin's like, you dare? Yes, my lord, I dare. And so Odin tries to fight back against Sadring, but guess what? 
Odin's basically just a dude now compared to Sadring, who has the Odin force. And he knocks Odin down. Your reign is ended. Now begins the era of Sadring the All-Powerful. Um, he calls in people to like do his bidding. They're like, no, we serve Odin. And Thor's like, okay, I guess I'll go home. I walk along the bridge. Hey, Heimdall, why are you um why are you trapped in a solid force field? And Heimdall says, Get out of here, Thor. Not even you are strong enough to go up against somebody with Odin's strength. And um Thor's like, oh no, somebody's taken over Odin's power. I gotta go inside. Stop him. So he goes into Asgard and he finds all of his friends and gods bound and frozen and statued. Even Balder is frozen and immobile. It's like, oh no, what's going on? And suddenly he's surrounded by a ring of fire, a ring of fire. And Sadring the Merciless is like, son of Odin, I'm ruling Asgard now. You'll never stop me. And Thor says, I'm not afraid of fire. And they start fighting, but we change scenes back to Hollywood, where Wonder Woman's mom walks in and says, hey, Pluto. And Pluto says, hey, Hippolyta. And um, they are talking about how they're going to trap Hercules, because Wonder Woman's mom really likes Hercules and really wants him to fall in love with her, and mm. he won't do it. He's pretty hot. So, yeah, well, you know. Um, so Pluto has drafted this pact that um, he's going to trick Hercules into signing of his own free will. Find out more about that later. Back to the fight between Oda, uh, between Thor and Sadring. Um, Sadring throws like like asteroids at Thor, and Thor smashes them with his hammer. Um, let's see. He throws Thor into a globule of liquefied <laughs> wolfsbane. Well, yeah. And... Um, that eventually bursts and he's all wet. Um, he throws rocks at Sadring. They're fighting. Um, and finally Thor's like, I have an idea. And he runs off and he goes after the Odin sword. If I can but touch its enchanted hilt. And he goes to grab the Odin sword, but Sadring holds him back with his Odin force um, because they know what will happen if Odin, if the Odin sword is drawn. There's prophecy about it. And Thor grabs it. Sadring, give Odin back his power, or I drop the great sword. And Sadring's like, no, no, don't drop it. Fine, you win. I, I yield. Odin, Odin can have his power back. And um, so, yeah, he gives Odin his power back. Odin goes to uh, Sadring and banishes him, um, mm -hmm. or says he'll deal with him later or something. Anyway, Sadring leaves. And Thor, after the big old fight, is diminished of all his strength, collapses on the floor. Odin picks him up and cradles him, says, I'm so sorry I didn't mean for all of this to happen. You're the best Asgardian ever until I hate you again and reject you for no reason. <laughs> Next issue, The Secret of Pluto. Did he ever give Thor his power back? He has not so far. So Thor beat the Odin force, or at least... Or at least, at least made a really good standing against the Odin Force at mm -hmm. half power. Yes. It was all his passion. I don't think he, he could have ultimately, I don't think he could have beat the Odin Force guy, but I think the guy was just toying with him and then I think he outsmarted him. Right, right. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is at some point Thor does get the Odin Force. And, you know, not that I've read all those comics, but I don't remember him making gaseous bubbles and force fields 
and whatever. He's just like way stronger and stuff. Well, because why would you? Why would I you? I mean, Sadrin is dumb. Yeah. Hurling rocks and things. I don't know. Maybe Sadrin never had any magical power before. And so it's kind of like whenever Loki first went to Earth, mm. he turned cars into ice cream. Or maybe Sadrin is all about magical powers and it augmented that, whereas Thor is all about physical powers and it augmented that. I don't know. Oh. Anyway. It gives you more of what you have. You know, mm-hmm. men get more aggressive, women softer. Mm-hmm. Quoting Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Harry Mudd is a person. Um, yes. Also, Harry Mudd is the name of my next band. <laughs> also, sounds like a really bad uh, shot. Give me a Harry Mudd, please. It's like a chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. I sounds awesome. Uh, or something. Um, okay. We made a big thing because we noticed at the end of issue 126 that he didn't have his hammer for like the last five pages of the issue. Mm-hmm. Notice he is, in fact, holding his hammer here. Yeah. So that was just an artistic snafu, probably. Right. Must have been like in his other hand the entire time. Because so far still, anyway, if he doesn't have his hammer, he theoretically should turn back to Donald Blake, even though I think they don't like that idea anymore. Mm -hmm. But theoretically they should, because he hasn't had that undone yet. Um, We love that Jane put on her nurse hat and went to go help somebody. That was cool, That is pretty great. She she had at least uh, uh, two panels Mm -hmm. of events that had nothing to do with Thor. No, it's kind of an excuse for her to back off of Thor, but it was still cool. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, is the whole "I loved you, I will always love you, but I'm not going to be pitied by you, so I'm leaving"? Is that like just like stereotypical toxic male? I mean, isn't that like the worst of all dudes? Yeah, and we like. I think we commented on that last time, but I'm just gonna like. I don't know. I'm not saying I give it a pass. Like, obviously, there's better ways to deal with his problems but you know what sometimes emotions just are stupid and you're stupid about them and if there's going to be something that really bums out thor it's going to be an identity crisis about not being super strong and manly anymore that makes sense to me i can see that because what is the one defining characteristic for thor he's the strongest god Mm -hmm. and his hair so yeah he's totally pouting and this is you know if he looks back on this someday i hope he realizes that he's being an idiot and there she was trying to be supportive and he should have like turned around and just hugged her and said thank you or something but i don't know characters don't have to be perfect because that's kind of boring reading so i'm cool with that's the, true i'm i'm cool with this because it at least fits his personality i think you know also fits a person's personality hmm. pluto does not even bother to use a fake name or a fake head right but that is definite kirby face there but but are they inserting a third mythology real quick, or have they already done the Roman thing? Because this is Pluto not is, Greek or Norse. He's Roman. I thought, I thought Pluto was Greek. Greek is Hades. Roman is Pluto. <gasps> Norse is hell. Did they cross the streams? See, at first when I read this, I was thinking, oh, yeah, he's Greek because he wants to get Hercules, and he wants Hercules to take over his position in the underworld. But then as you were doing the summary, I was thinking, wait. Pluto isn't Greek. So what the heck? Did they cross the streams or they just get it wrong and for the rest of eternity mythology in the Marvel Universe is that Pluto's Greek? I... Because he's not Greek. He's Roman. Now I want to look. I'm going to look. I'm going to see if there's a summary that says like Marvel Comics Pluto is Greek. Pluto is a fictional deity. He is based on a Greco-Roman god of the same name. Pluto is the Olympian god of the underworld. So they just already conflicted with that. So the earlier name for the god was Hades, which became more common as the name of the underworld itself. Pluto Pluto represents a more positive concept of the god who presides over the afterlife. So 
I think when the gods shifted to Rome, the name Pluto went with it because in the Wikipedia, there is a Latin and a Greek spelling for Pluto. Okay. So who's Hades? I think Hades was an earlier name for the same god, but then became the name for the place, the realm of Hades. All right. And possibly Pluto became um, a surrogate for the person. Okay. So this Marvel's comics Pluto entry, the first sentence says, Pluto is the Olympian god of the underworld, death and the dead, and is the... This is all in titles, so it's like a title, Monarch of Hades. Okay. So I guess in the in the in the Marvel version of Greek mythology, there is no Hades person. He's there's just only that's Hades his title. Place. Okay. Right. So there's no I Hades? In, that's weird. In Wonder Woman there's a Hades, right? Yeah, I think so. Now I want to type Hades Marvel and see what happens. Hades. <sighs> you know there's a Hades. So There's a Hades, Hades in Marvel too. Hades is the members of the race of the extra-dimensional Olympians, and thus possesses super strength, blah, blah, blah. Hades is the eldest son of Kronos. Boy, this is not making it better. What's the guy's name that we're trying to figure out? Pluto. Oh, actually, it's called... Never mind. It's The entry title is Hades, or 616, but then everything else says Pluto. So it's like it's the same guy. His real name is Hades. His current alias is Pluto. That's what it says. Okay, yeah, and the picture they have on the Marvel fandom is this guy here. Okay. He has the like black jacket mustache things on his. So he's interchangeable, I guess, at this point. Okay. Or it's the same so, dude, which I'm fine with because you know we all know that Roman and Greek are all the same crap anyway. So it kind of makes sense that it'd be the same person. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying it is. I'm sorry if I offended Roman and Greek people, but I just mean like <laughs> I mean like Greek kind of transitioned to Roman, and I it could did. see Rome like adopted a lot of their if gods. those gods were real, I could see that. One Mm-hmm. But at least Pluto is a Greek name, even if it's not the only Greek name. Because I would, it would have bothered me to know that they chose a Roman Latin name <laughs> for a Greek god character. Yeah. But um, in, if they anyway, start calling Zeus Jupiter, for example, I'm out of here. He's he's certainly not trying to blend, which is funny. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's cool. Like I feel like we're getting a lot of Hercules because even though he's not in this story, this subplot is about getting him. So that means I guess he's going to be in future stories. Right. Right. And he's also in. A comic, I don't know if we cover it tonight or next episode. But yep, he's, yep, it's the next issue, yep. Yeah, it's the next issue. So, like, he's this is like three times we've got some Hercules going on. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. They're definitely doing stuff with him. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you think, page five. Page Where's five. Page five. Gotcha. I'm there. Um, it's just, you know, because Pluto's planning on, on, he says, for the time, uh, I've found such a replacement... The unspeakable suspecting Hercules approaches, little dreaming the dread fate that awaits him. Okay, so he's he's a movie producer, mm-hmm. and he has Hercules approaching. Mm-hmm. Three issues ago, mm-hmm. a guy on a train invited Hercules to be in a movie. Right. So do you think the idea for Pluto went back that far, or do you think this is just something that they've thrown together because last issue Hercules said, yeah, I'll be in a movie? Um, real world, I'm guessing, I'm thinking they slapped it together. Okay. But- but in world, you could totally write a story, or maybe they are going to connect it that that dude who offered is somehow working with Pluto, or it's Pluto's idea to get Hercules in on this movie. I don't know mm-hmm. what came first. I don't know. It seemed like spontaneous because it's like they didn't know Hercules was going to be on Earth. He was there for a half hour. He gets in a fight with Thor, beats him, and the guy's just like, "Dude, movie," you know, because that's kind of a cliche. Movie guys like news, I guess. Uh, 
But there were two offers for the movie. There was like when Hercules first showed up and was like uh-huh. walking through town. And then there was like an issue of them fighting or whatever. Yeah. And the next, uh, there was another offer for him to be in a movie. So maybe. So when did Pluto find out about this movie? Is he watching Hercules all the time? I'm guessing he found out after. I, if I were to make it, if I were to like do the uh, untold tales of Thor. <laughs> uh-huh. I would have him dis, uh, notice the guy offering Hercules a movie mm-hmm. three issues ago, yep. swoop down into Hollywood and set up a studio. Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, the the invitation that happened last issue, he'd have his plan in place and start to work it. Yeah. Presumably, That's my thought. Presumably he's watching Hercules on one of those Loki TV things. And like, mm-hmm. and like Globes. he's just been planning this whole time for the last thousand years that someday there'll be an opportunity for me to trick Hercules into doing my job. Because I hate my job. And it's got to be Hercules for some reason. It's got to be Hercules. Because he's Hercules an idiot. Is strong enough? Maybe. He's an idiot. Yeah, because yeah, it's true. Um, Sadring. Power corrupts and bad people use power to take over. Yeah, Sadring was bad already. Although Odin says, I don't know where he says it, but at some point he says, oh, man, I used to think of you as like this really cool guy. and Look at you now or something. So maybe at some point Sadring wasn't a bad guy. But I feel like, you know, the pointy eyebrows and the weird face... I've always thought he was a bad guy. It's not the Odin yeah. power. It looked like he was bad to those... begin with. Maybe he didn't yeah, say that. I always say that. I was that. looking for it, but I can't see it. Doesn't really matter. Uh, really well, matter. He, I think last issue he said that he's he's trusted Sadring for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he gave him the Odin power, so what is he thinking, right? Right. Um, he is, however, known as Sadring the Merciless. <laughs> That's a bad sign, right? Right. Um, maybe you don't give your power to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so for those playing along at home, Hippolyta here in Marvel is Marvel's version of the mythological character who is Wonder Woman's mom over at DC. Okay. I made the joke about that. Um, Does it say her name in this, or did you just infer because she's queen of the Amazons? Do they say her name? Because I was wondering who she was, but maybe I missed where it said her name. I don't think they call her anything. Somehow I knew. Well, he does say the one who is queen of the Amazons. So I guess if you know who the queen of the Amazons is, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, But I now, didn't. I think in mythology, there is a connection between Hippolyta and Zeus. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, between Hippolyta and Hercules. Okay. Um, and I do believe that that connection is explored in a somewhat violent manner in the Wonder Woman Earth 1 hardcover because it opens with a scene with Hercules and Hippolyta that is not good. I will tell um, you, you're right. Because if you've ever read the Marvel or the Avengers JLA crossover, Wonder Woman no likey Marvel Hercules, who's like, what I do? And she goes mm. to town, she goes wailing on him. And he's like, I think you got the wrong Hercules. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this Hercules didn't do that. No. As far as we know. As far as we know. Yeah. Well, I, I would have to say no, because she's still coming back for him. She wants him to love him. Her, She wants him to love her. And yeah. she can't. Yeah. Um. I, you know, fight, 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 blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of cool when Thor has half the power that he normally has. And Odin just got his butt kicked and all of Asgard got their butt kicked. But he's still, like, determined to fight as hard as he can to keep going. Yeah, I feel like there's a character lesson here with Thor. That, like, he's doing all of this at half power. Uh And he says on page 14, verily, verily, for I be Thor. And I can't claim that he's never said verily before. But that was the first time I noticed it. And I liked it. And it was awesome. It is definitely. It verily be good. Yes. And then and then we get like a really blatant crossover with yeah. the Tales of Asgard concepts. I kind of like that. Yeah. 
Because the Odin sword, I mean, the backup story has kind of gotten away from what drove us in the first place. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to get back to it this issue. But they went on that big journey to find out what cracked the Odin sword. Because the Odin sword can't break and fall. Now, I still think the Odin sword seems bonkers because it looks like it needs to be held by a giant and not miniaturized normal men. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just makes it even worse when we actually see Thor try and wield it. And it looks like this would not be an awesome weapon for normal-sized people. So Maybe Odin can get big. And maybe Odin can get big. And also there's this whole, like, you know, fate thing about it that I didn't quite wrap my brain around. But it was cool to see it. Yeah. It's like it issues starts Ragnarok? Or is that just a different fate thing? It starts, what happens when he, why did the guy get scared? I don't understand. What happened? The, I, I, I believe the dropping of the Odin sword is linked to the coming of Ragnarok. Okay. And then at which point having the power cosmic does nothing for you. Having the Odin force does nothing for you. Because right, you're going to die anyway. And we're going to we actually talk about those prophecies at the end of this issue. So we'll have to look for All it. All right. Well, anyway, that was cool. I liked it. Fun. Uh, one other thing, mm-hmm. the cardinal rule of comics covers. Mm-hmm. Do not use your final moment of the story as your cover story because it's yeah, that's like that's that's wrong and they've done it more than once now. Did you like it like, when they did it for Crisis? No, I mean it's a, it's a good cover, but you don't want to know that she's going to die. That yeah, you should not put the end story moment. I mean, I also think that revealing somebody's death like that on the cover is hard, mm-hmm. very very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, it means you're building to that moment the entire time instead of having that moment come at you out of nowhere. And maybe that's a storytelling choice. Um, Worked in ER. It was really sad because we knew Dr. Green was going to die. And then they did the episode on his last days. And you're just like sad the entire time because you know that's what's going to happen. Yeah, Dr. Green was a good guy. But uh, you know what's funny is like this is just a pose. It's kind of an obvious pose, you know, a guy holding another guy who's unconscious. But that crisis cover is so iconic that you see this and go, oh, that's the same kind of cover. Right? Yeah. And it is It is just a pose. It's a pose that's done in so many dramatic action type stuff. The mm-hmm. person is cradling the body of the dead person. Mm-hmm. It's a thi- That's why it's the cover of Crisis 7 is because it's a thing. Mm-hmm. But that cover has become a thing. Yes. Anyway, right. anyway she's alive now, so it doesn't matter. Or and Thor, Thor's not dead, I think. I actually don't know, but that's fine. Well, he wasn't dead a long time ago during the Tale of Asgard. No, he was not. We have the meaning of Ragnarok. About time. Mighty Thor and his hardy band of oh, no. adventure goers <laughs> Cheater. have been summoned back to Asgard by Imperial Order of the All-Wise Odin. All-Wise? Yes. Sorry. Yes. After a perilous voyage in search of the forces of evil, which threatened the Golden Realm, they learn at last that the deadly dangers we found in Asgard itself. Script Stan Lee, penciling Jack Kirby, delineation Vince Coletta, lettering Artie Simic, we have spoken. Yeah. So Odin gets like all of Asgard, like all of them, to go see Vola, the prophetess. And so Vola tells the story of Ragnarok, how there will be winters and snowy storms, and then there will be a a nameless fear and a a dread of certain doom that will lead brother against brother in an orgy of combat, and then chaos and carnage will envelop the realm as monsters and beasts and evil gods are led across the Rainbow Bridge by Loki, the ultimate act of treason. Um, 
Really, I should just read this, but that's okay. No. Um, let's see. Seeing all of this happen, Heimdall is going to break the Rainbow Bridge to destroy the last link between Asgard and everything else. Um, he will sound the alarm before he's swallowed by the battle. Uh, Asgardians will fight against uh, frost giants. Thor will lead his forces. Thor and Loki will have final battle, but there can be no victory, no survivors. Everything will destroy around them until at last uh, the mighty oceans will uh, reveal the ultimate destroyer, the Midgard serpent, proclaiming the day of Ragnarok. Uh, the time of the gods themselves shall perish. Ragnarok, the end of the world. Are you tired of Ragnarok or is it just me? Like every time we have to do a Norse thing, it's got to be Ragnarok all the time. Ragnarok, Ragnarok. <laughs> I mean, I know this is early days, so I'm, I'm applying future Ragnarok stories to this, which isn't fair because this is kind of all there new and that, fresh. But. Yeah, it is going to be a thing in Thor stories, right? Like, yeah. they keep on doing... Like, wasn't that... Okay, I know that in Civil War, mm-hmm. Thor wasn't around. No, just and a Thor his, clone. Right, his series had ended a, sh- a few short months previously. And wasn't that a big Ragnarok story? I don't know. But I feel like there's always big Ragnarok stories when it comes to Thor. Right. I mean, um, even, yeah. even the movie's done Ragnarok. <laughs> right. And by the this way, this is the first time they spelled it out. If, if you're a reader in the 60s, you don't know your Norse mythology. That's this is true. your first exposure to the prophecies. And I'm looking forward to finding out how much of baloney this is, too. But also, it's interesting that it's the Midgar serpent and not Surtur. I think Surtur's they... going to come. We're not done with the story yet because okay. the sense of shattering spectacle that none but Mighty Marvel would dare to attempt is the aftermath, which comes next issue. Okay. Um, so, spoilers on that. And it's interesting right. also that there's a prediction that Loki's going to betray everybody and he's like standing there in front of everybody. And you think any of them are looking at him like, seriously? I think yes. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be really awkward <laughs> watching all of this, standing right next to Loki. And he's looking at them and they're looking at him. And yeah. See, because Ragnarok doesn't happen between this story and the present, you know, quote unquote present that we're reading. No. So meanwhile, at no point did anybody say, you know, they haven't trusted him all the time, although Odin trusts him all the time, way more than he should. And now we've come to find out that Odin knows that he's going to lead the evil revolution in Ragnarok someday and still trust him. Did Odin him. know all of this? He's standing right there. Isn't that him squatting? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, he's – so he's hearing all of this at the same time. There are, all of the Loki stories we have had in the present day up to this point, uh-huh. Thor and Odin both have heard this prophecy. Yes. I see what you're saying. Yes. And yet he trusts him at every turn, at least up until recently. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see if the next issue will be Loki getting out of this somehow. I'm curious. Now, this is the first appearance of Vola the prophetess. She is in this issue. Mm-hmm. She is in next issue. And then she's only in random flashbacks until the second Thor series in 1998. And she makes several more appearances then. Oh, wow. So... I feel like her telling them the Ragnarok story is going to be something that gets flashed back to a lot. So she's the only one, the prophecies, huh? Because, like, the Greek people have three people, don't they? The fates. The fates, yeah. We've seen the fates because the Norns. Oh, so there's lots of fate people, I guess. Maybe, but maybe she's the only one who knows about Ragnarok. Maybe. Um, okay, so page two, mm-hmm. the first panel. 
Um, where is it? Let's see. At last, Unipotent Odin oh. has... Con- uh-huh. Thor says, Odin has confessed the true reason he sent us on our quest. Yes. We'd been chilling too long. <laughs> and we were just getting rambunctious. So we were just fighting a lot, and he got annoyed with us. Now, we saw those moments, but, like, it seemed the crack in the sword gave him motivation. I don't know. In any case, he was just giving them something to do. So the crack in the sword is never going to get followed up again? That was just a fake thing? I don't know. I hope that's not true. I hope the story returns. It needs to at least address the crack in the sword. Well, the crack in the sword isn't even there. Like, they remember the sword because they used it in the first story. Well, when I read this panel and groaned out loud, I thought it was he sent them on a wild goose chase in terms of finding out what happened to the sword. Like, he knew that wasn't going to solve the problem, but he just wanted them to exercise. That's what it feels like, is that he knew it was not going to solve the problem. So I'm hoping that's the case and it's not like the entire thing was fabricated and even the sword crack was just a red herring and you know a waste of time we'll see now gene has mentioned before the whole winter thing and how you you can't think ragnarok is here because there has to be like three solid years of winter or something like that mm-hmm. um, and they mentioned that here in the prophecy so that's yeah cool. that's cool also we have seen loki forging some of the alliances we did that are that are going to lead to this. We did. And he did that like when they were preparing for this trip that they didn't have to go on. Oh yeah. There were some more of them there. Yeah. Cause it was like, Oh look, we can, we can do false staff and we can do evil cyborg. eye. which one is the good guy. I, <laughs> I think it's evil cyborg. guy. <laughs> I think the first, the fact that his first name is evil is just a red herring. <laughs> yes. Okay. Shall we see what Gene has to say? Yes. That's I'm very interested. He does have uh, three paragraphs in this. this, this All right. Let's write it. If you're new to the show, um, we have a friend, uh, our very own Asgardian advisor, Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, is gracious enough to contribute his thoughts whenever we talk about these tales of Asgard stories because he uh, is very well acquainted with the lore. He is a worshiper of the Norse gods himself. And he says, well, we have some fairly accurate stuff in this one. Awesome. Vola is the handmaid of Frigg. Odin's wife. And she's one that Frigg tells all of her secrets to. Um, I believe that Frigg is one of the variations on the name. I think she's also called Frigga and Freya. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's the woman in the Thor movies that yes. Thor addresses as mom. Um, right. Okay. She's also one of Frigg's most trusted messengers. Putting her into the role of prophetess isn't fully accurate, but I can see it. The story of Ragnarok. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. I was only slightly paying attention there. So he's saying that she's not the one who normally prophesizes this? Right. She's a handmaid of Frigg. She doesn't look Uh, like a handmaiden. No. She looks like a decrepit old lady that has lots of baggy clothes and stuff. So they're transferring a name from the lore into somebody who's not necessarily in the lore. Right. But Gene says he can see Vola playing that sort of a role. If, if But that goes back to your other comment that there were other fates that we've already read. So right. maybe this is the wrong fate. Anyway. The story of Ragnarok related by Vola is vague enough as to not contradict a lot of the lore. It mm-hmm. is to be preceded by three years of winter, and then the enemies of the gods led by Loki will attack Asgard. Heimdall will meet the first charge and signal the attack with his horn. Then the Asgardians and heroes of Valhalla will charge into the battle. Mm-hmm. So all of that's in the lore. All of that is real. One big point that this gets wrong is that Thor and Loki will fight. Oh. Thor will fight the Midgard serpent, and they will both kill each other. 
Loki will fight. What's that? Go ahead. Loki will fight Heimdall and oh. they will kill each other. Wow. Because remember that Thor and Loki are not brothers. No, they are in not. The lore. Yeah, Thor which is, is the strongest god and Loki is the most, you know, common representation of evil maybe. Uh-huh. But like they don't have this special one-on-one antagonism as far as I know. I know. That was a big shocker to me when we first started researching this stuff. Like my entire life, I thought they were brothers because of Marvel. And he says, maybe this is just a preliminary tussle and we'll see it go out the, the, the way it should next issue, which has the weirdest looking serpent that I've ever seen. It does look odd, like a weird robot thing or something. Yeah, is that like a spaceship on top? <laughs> it looks like he's his shoulders are made up of two independent uh, spaceships. And then he's got yeah, little tiny is... robot arms, T-Rex arms that come out of him. That is bizarre. And just to follow up, Rene Russo plays Frigga, as in what the Frigga in the Thor movies. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the same. I think that's the Marvel movie version of the same woman. Frigga, sometimes spelled Freya. So, yeah, it's just one of those. She's she's whom we have Friday named after. uh Uh-huh. Freya Day. T-G-I Frigga. Yes. Right. Okay, so they got a lot right on that one. That's been a while. Yeah. Well, and also they're like actually basing it in the lore and not just making up random crap. Yeah, that's cool. So ostensibly, up until this point, none of our friends knew the prophecies of Ragnarok. But also ostensibly, after this point, in all of the present day stories, they did know the prophecies of Ragnarok. Yes. So it doesn't really... So every time Baldar sees Loki, it's awkward. You know what it is? If you If you read Superman and Superboy the way they were published together. Mm-hmm. Then very often a new concept for the Superman stories will be introduced in one of their books. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it starts showing up in the other book. Now this is fine when it first shows up in Superboy and then all of a sudden Superman just knows about it because like he just always knew about it. It just never came up before. But when it shows up in Superman like a new thing mm-hmm. and then also Superboy starts encountering it. Oh, that's backwards. Yeah, backwards. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we have here. I feel like um, Thor is learning about this now and going forward, present day Thor will now have this knowledge in his conversations with Loki. Well, that's a big problem with prequels in general. If they don't do it right, you know, gotta be careful. Right. Gotta but, make but, your uh, logic flow. Does Gene think, say that, that Ragnarok is predicted in the, the myth? Because if so, then how did they deal with like knowing that Loki was going to be a jerk head? I guess he was never a good guy in their myth ever probably, or, you know, working with the good guys ever. Yeah, and I don't know the structure of the narrative. If if it's just like like the Bible, the prophecies aren't always known by the people in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Anyway, overthinking. But uh, wow, we still have one more book, don't we? Let's see. We do have one more book. This is an astonishing tale, number seventy nine, the Titans and the Torment. Uh, but first, no, it's called When Rises the Behemoth. It's a Prince Namor the Submariner story. Um, oh, those alternating covers, they get to trick you sometimes. They get to trick you. Uh, as Namor is surrounded, a potent thought thunders inside his brain. This is the puppet master. You must not be captured alive. There must be no possibility of your leading them to me. You will fight to the death. I repeat, you will fight to the death. And I guess there's no recap. So the recap is the puppet master wants him to fight to the death and rob banks for him. And they're like onto that. So the United States government has the army or something out there to kill him. And so he's going to kill them all presented by now. This is a story. Stan Lee. Now this is penciling Adam Austin. Now this is delineation. Bill Everett. Now this is lettering Artie Semek. So he picks up a light post or rips it out of the 
thing and he smacks all the guards and stuff with it because he's Prince Namor and this isn't really that much of a challenge. And then he flies up to the roof and they're all like, oh man, we forgot he could fly. And they start shooting at him and they hit him in the shoulder and he pushes a sign on the top of the building over so that they all have to say, let's get the hell out of here and they run away. He goes back to the bridge and now he's kind of functioning on instinct because of the pain. He got hurt, like the bullet actually penetrated his skin because I guess he was weak enough at that point because he hasn't had water in a long time because probably Puppet Master, I'm just theorizing here, Puppet Master doesn't know he needs water. So anyway, he goes to a bridge, he jumps into the water and that's the end of Submariner. No, we cut to Atlantis. Now remember, because I forgot all about this, but remember like six, seven, 20 issues ago, I guess, maybe just two, one of the problems with the whole, like, the Pims causing earthquakes in Asgard was that they had a weapon that was sleeping, a weapon they invented in the war, World War II, that even they can't really control very well. And so they were worried that the earthquakes were going to wake this thing up. And guess what? It wakes this thing up. It's like a creature from the Black Lagoon, except it's red and giant. And it's called the Unthinking Behemoth, I think. And it's attacking the people. So that old guy and Dorma, Dorma? Yeah. Yeah. The and old, the old guy, guy is Vashti. Vashti and Dorma are like, what should we do? And Vashti's like, you should go find Submariner to beat this thing up. Only you can do it. I'd do it, but I'm old. She's like, okay. So she gets in a ship and the ship has a beacon or something that can pick up Submariner. So she finds him and he's like, oh yeah, I've been hurt really bad. Take me to the shore. There's something going on in my head. Like the water has kind of cleared it but I feel like something's trying to take control of it again. And you know what? I'm not going to let it because I'm freaking Submariner. So he concentrates really hard. And on the other end where the puppet master is holding his Submariner puppet, the puppet explodes because Namor is so awesome with his brain. So that's that. But then we cut to Krang, who last we heard was banished. And now he's living in this little sea castle. And he's been watching Submariner on a monitor. And he's like, ooh, that Puppet Master thing seems like a cool idea. That's one way to get revenge on Submariner for beating me. So he goes to the Puppet Master's house and he says, listen, I'm going to describe a monster to you and you're going to create the puppet and use it. <laughs> um, so he describes the behemoth. And meanwhile, we have Dorma and, and, and Namor coming back. And Namor's like, okay, I guess I have to take care of the behemoth. My arm hurts, but I'm pretty sure I could beat it, even though it's way bigger than me and way stronger than me. It's also unthinking, so I could probably take it. I'll outsmart it somehow. But little does he know that it isn't unthinking. It's been taken over by the puppet master by way of Krang, so it's actually going to be a very smart monster when they fight next issue to be continued. Puppet master. Puppet Master is still in this thing. I thought maybe by page 11 it was over and I was going to criticize that it went nowhere, but that's okay because he's gone, but he's not gone. Well, and it feels like at the beginning like he's worrying so much over nothing. Namor does not know where his hideout is. Right. So the only way he's going to go to the Puppet Master is if Puppet Master makes him go there. Yeah. Also, Puppet Master could just let Namor go if things get too hot for him and, and like stop or, controlling him. Or control him to run away in the opposite direction of his hideout. Or anything. Right. Yeah. But the art throughout all of this is gorgeous. Oh, it's so good. It really is. We even got our first Submariner splash page, I think, page four. But mm -hmm. yeah, this was like kind of interesting. I totally had forgot about the monster part. 
that element. I know we don't read these very fast, but I feel like that was mentioned a long time ago or something. They didn't. They didn't mention it. I don't think they brought it up last issue or the one before. I think it's. I don't know. Whenever the earthquake started was the only time they mentioned it. I guess, and then I forgot. Uh, it's still a stupid idea too, because like, why invent a monster to help you fight a war if the, you can't even control the monster and it wakes up and kills you? Weird. Well, that's Lex Luthor making Doomsday, right? I was gonna mm-hmm. say that, but I didn't want to offend you. But yes, that is the exact thing that popped in my brain. Well, it's you know, you make the monster to fight the monster, and you don't expect to not be able to control the monster. So yes. maybe they expected to be able to control the behemoth, and they 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 can't. And they can't, um, so they gave it a sleeping potion or something. I really liked page six, the composition, because um, Na- Namor's like little tiny on the roof in the background, pushing everything over. Mm-hmm. But like we are one of the soldiers mm-hmm. on the ground running for our lives. Yeah, it's just kind of neat. you don't always have the hero or the main mm-hmm. character diminish in the composition like that. You get the Marvel shot instead of instead of the hero shot. This is the Marvel's shot. You are correct. Totally. Um, I, I, he, he actually got shot though. Now I, that makes me wonder. Like, I think I said joked last issue that he's bulletproof and none of these guns matter. But maybe if he gets weak enough, he can get hurt like that. Or is he not bulletproof? I thought he was bulletproof. I, don't I know. feel like he is bulletproof, but maybe you're right. Maybe he is getting weak from lack of water. Yeah, and he's still he's still bumping his shoulder even once he gets in the water. So it didn't heal him fast, I guess. Um, before we go on too much farther in that direction, I am going to call BS on the writing because uh, on that picture I was talking about, he's totally pushing over the sign. And on the next panel, Namor's like, it's a good thing I just let that sign balanced precariously as a reminder oh. of the power of the Submariner. And it's like, no. No, that's the writers making him a hero where the artists want to just make him a possessed person who's trying to kill people. Um, God, they do that a lot, don't they? It's a good thing we... I'm a Nazi, but I didn't kill this German guy. I just knocked him out as right. like the guy's being hung and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, I feel like Namor breaking free of the Puppet Master was a big deal because not even Xavier did yeah. that. I think it's the first time that anyone has broken free. Yeah. I may have sounded like it was silly in my summary, but I actually thought that was really awesome. Yeah. And it works for me because, you know, Imperius Rex over here is a big stubborn jerkhead. So I could actually see him just like, pushing someone away who's trying to mentally control him. Mm-hmm. And then it feels like there's like a very intentional shift in the next plot. Um, as we go to Krang sitting in his castle, it's like, okay, done with the puppet master story. Let's go on to the Krang story. Mm-hmm. But then he brings in the puppet master. Yeah. So maybe not. And it was kind of silly though. Like you can describe the thing. What if the puppet master can't figure out what you're talking about? He makes like, <laughs> he makes a monster that looks nothing <laughs> like what you're describing. Like, it really doesn't matter because he can just make a nondescript, vague human shape and control Xavier with it. Yeah. He's, he doesn't even have to ever have seen it or know what it is or anything to connect with it, I guess. Right. Which means he can control anybody, anytime, anywhere he wants. And for some reason, he waits till Namor's available. I don't know. Why not just take over Hulk? I guess today? it made sense to him at the time. I guess so. That's the problem with this power. It's kind of verbonculous, but whatever. Speaking of taking over the Hulk. Yeah, let's take over the Hulk. Okay. The Titan and the Torment. Um, It's memory refresher time, students, and we made it as painless as we could. See, with Bruce Banner gone, the man known as Dr. Z- I need to zoom this in a little bit. The man known as Dr. Zaxxon has been hired by the Missile Command to replace him, but no one suspects that the, t- the treacherous Zaxxon has only one objective, to destroy the captive Hulk, and in so doing, to make himself the strongest mortal on Earth. You know our motto, Tiger. 
If we have to be dull, at least we're brief. Hulkish Story by Stan Lee. Hulkable Layouts by Jack Kirby. Hulking Artwork by Bill Everett. Hulksome Lettering by Artie Semek. So yeah, it, it ended with the guy in the pseudo iron yellow Iron Man armor shooting the Hulk as the Hulk comes out of the waffle. And it doesn't work. He's trying Despite his uh, sculpted Iron Man butt there. Despite his sculpted Iron Man butt, it's supposed to like, I guess, suck all the energy or life force out of the Hulk. But the Hulk has so much power and the matter he gets, the stronger he gets, the machine just isn't up to snuff. And Hulk manages to knock it out of his hand. And then the machine like bounces off a wall and zats Zaxxon and kills him. And Hulk is like, get up, fight me. Okay, I guess I won. And he leaps away. And everybody says, Hulk killed Zaxxon. And he was just trying to help us. Let's kill the Hulk. So they shoot at the Hulk. But anyway, meanwhile, we cut to a train in the middle of the desert. On that train is Hercules and that guy we were talking about earlier who may or may not be affiliated with Pluto. Um, taking Hercules to Hollywood to be a, uh, a, a, a movie star in a movie called Hercules. And the Hulk shows up because he's leaping in the desert too. And he's like, I hate this stupid railroad. It got in my way. And he rips it up and throws it. Oh, no. I'm sorry. He's being chased by planes. So he takes the railroad uh, tracks and turns them into missiles basically and kills all the planes, which is awesome. And then like Hercules comes out – or they have to stop the train obviously. Hercules comes out and goes, what's the problem? He's like, well – there's someone – the Hulk's out there. And the, the movie guy's like, that'd be really cool if you actually fought the Hulk. And Hercules is like, there's no mortal that can put up with – you know, take that I can't take out. So I'm going to go check this out. And he's like, Zounds, you're green and big and stuff. And they get into a big fight and they throw boulders and they throw punches. And they're kind of evenly matched because they're both the strongest people in the world. And at some point, the Hulk creates like the biggest ball of mountain ever and throws it at Hercules and he catches it. And then the army shoots missiles at them both, and it makes the ball of mountain explode, which knocks Hercules back, and Hulk loses interests, and he flies or he jumps away because he's worried that you know he can't take on that much army. Um, Hercules is kind of annoyed, but he basically fixes the train or he uh, picks the track or ah, picks the train up and moves it to a good part of the track so they can continue their journey to Hollywood, and Hulk finds a little cave that he can be capsat in. The end. The end. The end. So not a lot to say about this one because it's, you know, fighting and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you something that makes me sad, though. I think when I looked this up, I was like, oh, Hercules and Hulk are going to fight, and it's drawn by Jack Kirby, but kind of not really. But Bill Everett's pretty good. Bill Everett's cool, but I would have liked a, like, full-on Jack Kirby, Hulk versus Hercules fight. That would have been pretty awesome. Matter Hulk gets, stronger Hulk gets. Yep. We've established it. This is it, right? Page two. I don't think it's the absolute first time they've ever said it, but it's, it's still a rarity, but it's definitely here now. Like, this is a thing. Well, because before, the matter he got, the weaker he got, remember? Oh, yeah, because if his, if his heart rate got too fast, he would change yeah. back to Dr. Banner. Yeah. And they even go, they even point out, they say, they say uh, he, the Hulk has the power to grow stronger rather than weaker, so long as his rage keeps mounting. So it's like they're, like, making sure they contradict themselves now. Um, got rid of Zaxxon really quickly. <laughs> yes, very quickly. Like, okay. But I'm sometimes fine with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like when it's a character I don't care to see a lot of. So that's cool, I guess. I'd much rather he fight Hercules. 
And I was totally wondering how the continuity is going to work with Hercules when they said Hercules is going to be in the book soon. Uh-huh. But this works very nicely. Yeah, it makes sense, right? New York to Hollywood on a train. Right. You're going to come across the middle of the United States at some point. And this might be might be the first time that two books come out in the same week. And like, in order for the story to make perfect sense, you kind of have to read them in a particular order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've had... Yeah, We've had ahead. stories where a character appears in two books and it makes, you know, it's easier in one order than in the other order. But like, yeah, it's not that the narrative was directly connected. This one, the narrative is directly connected. Yeah, absolutely. I like this little bit too, where like Hercules is like, I want to hear more sound out of this sound thing. And then they give it news. So he destroys it. That's funny. That is funny. What is Walkman? Oh, I forgot the little, in my summary, like there's also a little bit with Betty and Rick, but I guess who cares? Cause nothing really happens. Um, she's sad yeah. that she's sad that she think that they still think Bruce and Hulk are the same person, and she's still not sure if that's true, and she's worried about him basically. And Talbot is there; he's going off with Rick, and he promises to take the Hulk alive if possible. But he, he's not gonna. No, he's not gonna. Now we talked about earlier in the episode Jane Foster versus Karen Page. Uh huh. We need to bring Betty Ross into this conversation. Oh yeah, because Betty Ross is another character that has a single note. And we see less of her than either, well, maybe not less than Jane Foster, because Jane Foster's kind of been out of the books a lot. But she hardly ever shows up. And when she shows up, her one line is, but Bruce. It's funny that you mentioned Jane Foster, too, because they're both pining for transforming characters. And those characters are more interesting to the writer to be the transformed version than the version that's going to hook up with these women. So we get nothing about Betty because there's no Bruce Banner for Betty to play off of. Difference would be that Jane Foster also is attracted to the Hulk. I'm sorry, to the to the Hulk. To the Thor. Jane Foster is also attracted to Thor. She is. Yeah, and um, I don't think I don't think Betty is attracted to the Hulk, as far as I can tell. But no, as far as we can tell. Because remember, like the end, the end of the book, there's that bit where like Bruce Banner is not Hulk anymore, and he takes her on a date and they're going to live a life together and have little baby hulks and stuff. I have to assume that all of her pining over Bruce is Comes based from on that. the best six months they had. <laughs> right. And I, ah, but we don't get to see it and we don't get to see, God, we just keep complaining about the same thing or I do. We don't get to see it. We don't get to see him like working. Apparently he's fired now. Cause Zaxxon was his replacement. And like, why he's does she fired, like him? He's dead. Oh, that's right. He's dead. But now he's the, the Hulk. only person who knows that he's not dead. Well, has Talbot spilled the beans on that? Yep, he told everybody, and Rick. That's told, right. That's Rick, why she wants him to save him. Rick told Betty personally. So that's right. That was the last issue, wasn't it? Yep. Um, Hercules calls upon the zesty zither of Zeus, which I just had to write down because that's the whole thing. A zither is like a musical instrument, like a stringed instrument. Yeah. I don't know. Idea. Zeus has a zesty one. Oh. Um, when the train is approaching, did you notice that? There's a little bitty, teeny, tiny screeching sound effect coming out of it because uh-huh. it's holding on the brakes, and it's far away, so the sound effect is tiny. It's and cool. In the next issue, the next panel, it gets bigger. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. I also like the Hulk using the railroad tracks to destroy all the airplanes. That was pretty cool, too. Yes. But I, yeah. I, it's, I, I, it's I don't a, know. It was fun. It was a fight, but I like Hercules. It's just like, wow, you're a weird-looking mortal. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you would think he would mention something about fighting, like, giants or 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 golems or something because usually that's what they describe hulk as when these mythical gods are fighting him but and hercules is actually like really turned on by the fight is like that was really cool i've never met a mortal like that before yeah such Um, an antagonist 
He just picks up the train car by car and carries each car over the demolished tracks. Yep. Why not? Works. Meanwhile, the next train has a big old accident and kills a thousand people. So I also feel like it's really hard to pinpoint this because they're so all over the place. But I do feel like Hulk was way more Hulky Hulk than he has been. Always men hunt me. Always they try to kill me. Why? Why? They're so puny, so weak, but still they hound me. That's very Hulky. You know, he's becoming That's very Hulk. He's becoming that Hulk. And he's start, he, he's starting to refer to himself as Hulk too. Men come, but they he, won't find the Hulk. He just goes off at the end to hide in the wilderness, and that's a very Hulk move. Mm-hmm. Next issue, Tyrannus. Oh no, that is taking us back, though. It is, and Tyrannus was one of the first to really hurt Hulk in terms of mm-hmm. like he made him a slave and like made him exhausted, and that, oh, yeah, that, that was back when the Hulk had to save Betty once in a while, which was cool. And now he doesn't do that anymore. But anyway, that's it. That's our show. Yay. That is the show. That was a long one. So, Why does a that? A bit long. We, I, I think we just like let ourselves have some free-flowing conversation with the first couple. And then it's like, oh, okay. we're, we're moving along here, aren't we? We're Time super entertaining. They, they don't mind. Y'all don't mind. Um, so mm-hmm. next episode, we're going to cover four more issues. We're going to cover Sergeant Fury 29, Strange Tales 144, the Fantastic Four 50 and Tales of Suspense 77. Woohoo. So where could they find us if they want to before then? Go to makearsmarvel.com. All the episodes are on there. There's also links on the sidebar to various popular podcasty things. Or if one of those is not your podcast of choice, hopefully you can still type Make Ours Marvel into your podcast of choice, podcast app of choice, and find us. Uh, there's also links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter, and there is a contact form, or you can write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com and drop us your thoughts on all the stuff we just said. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Um, my other podcasts are also there, such as, um, um, what do I do? All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast at All the yes. Pouches. Yes. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TFUK podcast. And Wolverine Says Chuck, which is at Logan Says Chuck, which is going to be chronicling all the times that Wolverine calls Charles Xavier Chuck, except as I'm going through the issues, he says Charlie a lot in the early issues. And I'm finding that amusing. So I'm using that for a little while first. Yeah, that counts. Anything that's not respectful is what should be chronicled, right? And, and Xavier specifically says, don't call me Charlie. Yeah. I have that problem because I hate being called Mikey. And mm. some people like to do that. And I never know how much I should care. Because, you know, sometimes if you tell a Wolverine, don't call me Charlie, he's going to call you Charlie more. Right. And are so, you talking to a Logan at that point? Or are you talking to a respectful person? Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So is that our episode? That's it. All right. Well, we'll come back next time to talk more comics in February of 1966. So until then, or until the ox's brother becomes the ox and then forgets that he's not the original ox. Make ours marvel. marvel.